welcome to the False Neutral Podcast. This is episode 87 for March 2019. I'm Pete. Eric and Garrett are with me as always. Hi, guys. Hey, how's it going? It's, yeah, how's it, what's up? Another month, another episode. We've got uh, actually a lot of things to talk about this month. First of all, we'll start out as we always do with a workshop update. Who wants to go first? Um, I, I might as well I, go first since part of Eric's workshop update is in my <laughs> workshop. <laughs> I was going to say, for my workshop update, let's go to Garrett. <laughs> yeah. Um, so starting with Eric's carburetors, um, I finally got a chance to take them apart uh, just, what, a few days ago. And um, uh, the good news is they're in great shape, really. <clears throat> uh there's no corrosion or anything like that. Just, you know, some plugged up jets, the mains and the pilots, you couldn't even see through. So they were 100% plugged. Um, but that's an easy fix. Luckily, uh, the rest of them, they're in really good shape. So, uh, the bull gaskets came off in crumbs with the bull. <laughs> so, um, I'm not sure if, if those were the originals or just in really tough condition, but, um, Usually they don't come off like they did unless they've been on there a long time or just, I don't know, deteriorated pretty quickly. But um, so today in the mail, I got new bowl gaskets um, and new float needles and seats, which, Eric, if you want, you can see on our Facebook page. I just posted a picture of those. Um, So now that I have those parts, I can uh, put the carburetors back together and send them on your way and then you can get them bolted on and maybe at some point if it ever warms up in michigan you can go right around um so yeah finally got that going uh let's see that banshee engine that i was tempted to put in something anything really ended up selling that um i put it on craigslist for more than i thought it was worth at thirteen hundred dollars and uh, I just felt like, yeah, if somebody wants to give me that much money for it, I'll sell it. And somebody wanted to give me that much money for it. So I sold it. Cool. So my extra Banshee engine's gone. Um, but that's okay. There's plenty more of those. Uh, what else? The, uh, my powder coating oven that I've been talking about forever but have never actually worked on or taken any pictures of. Um as you guys know, maybe the listeners know, at one point in the past, I had a powder coating oven and I used to do all of my own powder coating. And I, uh, my oven was pretty big and it took up a lot of space and I hated powder coating and I swore it off. And so I ended up selling my oven. Um, I kept the powder coating equipment, the gun and some of my other supplies, but I, I sold the oven and, and just vowed never to do it again. But then I started getting back into doing some motorcycle restoration projects and and decided I really wanted another powder coating oven. So I decided I would build one that was smaller than the last one that could um, fit in my workshop a little easier. Um, So I I built the frame a few months ago and had ordered the sheet metal for it and told the guy making the sheet metal that I wasn't in a hurry. Now, I think that his interpretation of me not being in a hurry and my interpretation were were different because 
he, I, he wasn't in a hurry. <laughs> yeah, that's so, a bad I mean, thing a, to ever it, tell somebody, especially yeah, uh, someone who's who's doing craftsman work for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I should have probably clarified what that meant to me, but I didn't. But I also, I when I say that I'm not in a hurry, I don't like being the person that starts nagging for stuff when I said that I wasn't in a hurry. Right. So, so I, I kind of took responsibility for that and, and, you know, I really wasn't in a hurry. So I just let him take his time. I finally got the sheet metal a couple weeks ago and, and started uh, putting it on only to find out that some of the pieces were sheared to an incorrect size. Ooh. And, 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 and I'm not going to be like, all right, listen, can you fix these and then wait another three months? Um, basically a few of my interior panels were a half inch too narrow. So I ended up just modifying the frame of the oven to accommodate it. It, it, it just made like an aesthetic, um, issue, but not really a functional one. So it, it is what it is. I'm over it. Um, so I got the inside panels of the oven put together, which listeners can see on our Facebook page. Uh, now I just need to mount the elements, um, put the wiring inside the walls of the oven, insulate it, and then put the outside sheet metal on. So that'll happen over the next couple weeks. And then I'll be, uh, back in the powder coating business, so to speak. Uh, now, uh, Pete, you had mentioned in one of our chats recently, whatever happened to my KX250 slash Honda Z50. Uh, yes, project. yes, you were working and, on both of those, and then we stopped hearing about them. Yeah, yeah, so um, I took both of those motorcycles apart uh, kind of simultaneously. The um, the Honda, I rebuilt the engine, so the engine's just sitting on my shelf, 100% brand new, ready to go into a new motorcycle, but that new motorcycle still has yet to be uh, completed because I've been waiting on uh, a powder coating oven. So this is good timing because um, I basically I stripped apart both motorcycles all the way down to the nuts and bolts, um, sent the nuts and bolts off to get plated. And, and those came back. Uh, the Honda engine's done. The KX250 engine, actually, um, I only took a, it apart to figure out what I needed to put it back together. Um, so now I'll need to send the cylinder out to get plated and then I'll be able to. Um, put the engine back together and then I needed to uh, sandblast and powder coat the frames and all the other bits that are getting powder coated. When you say get, so, get the get the cylinder plated, that's the bore? It's got a it's got a like a nicosil yeah, or something? Yeah, nicosil uh, bore. So now that I almost have my powder coating oven done, I'll be able to um, move forward pretty quickly because really all that needs to happen is powder coating the parts and then reassembly. The KX engine, I'm actually going to powder coat that whole engine, uh, which is why it never got put back together and I didn't send the cylinder off to get plated yet. Um, I'm going to dismantle the entire thing, prep it, uh, high temp tape it, and it's just going to be all black. So it's the, the whole engine is going to get powder coated black, cases, side covers, cylinder, head, um, with just zinc plated hardware holding it all together. So, um, so yeah, uh, this powder coating oven not having it has been holding up quite a few projects of mine. Well, you also uh, had 
your friend died and you had to deal with all of the bikes from his estate and you got projects yeah. out of that and everything. So you had a bunch of other stuff going on. Too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's generally over the past boy, over the past half a year, or maybe a year, I've just had so many simultaneous projects going on, probably too many. Um, but I've been keeping up with them. Okay. Uh, the, and I will say that, um, there was the, a yellow RD 350 with 400 wheels on it. I, I kept the engine out of that bike and just sold that chassis yesterday. So one of the motorcycles is gone. That's actually the first one thus far that I've sold. Um, which is kind of pathetic, but <laughs> um, the Suzuki 500, I washed it, um, prepped it, and got it all ready for its photo shoot. Um, uh, and, and so I'm going to, it's been actually really beautiful weather here. I was going to just take it somewhere um, nice and get a ton of pictures for it because it's going to go on Bring a Trailer. Um, and then same with the Don Besco RD350. It's all cleaned up detailed ready for pictures um i'll let bring a trailer decide if they want to run them both simultaneously or um if they want to stagger them or what they want to do it really doesn't matter to me but um it might be kind of chaotic to run two auctions at the same time just because i'll have to field you know potential buyers from two different motorcycles and um but it would also be nice to just kind of get it done too so um we'll see what they want to do so those motorcycles are done um i'll get a ride video i swear uh i i needed to do a ride video anyways for listing them for sale um my powder coating oven is almost done then i'll be able to move forward on a bunch of other projects so yeah i'm making some pretty good progress in the shop eric's carburetors those are almost done (laughs) Eric, I feel bad about you waiting for so long. <laughs> Since I've sent those to you, it's been like 10 degrees and snowing. All right. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I didn't uh, think that you'd be like racing out to, to start that thing up and, and write it. But uh, nevertheless, I don't like holding on to things for that long. So, um, but you'll have them back here pretty quick. Cool. Yeah, no, I'm excited about it. I mean, you know, I go out, out and the the motorcycle is still where it, it, I left it in the garage when I took it apart and I've got a you know cardboard laid out with all the tools and everything that I was using so not, so it's literally going to be very easy to throw them on and be ready to go and then the other day I actually had to go get we had uh, like 65 mile an hour winds through here so I made sure to go and get 10 gallons of gas for the generator so I have plenty of gas to fill up the tank yeah. and then the dangerous thing I did today is I was looking for some some stuff for work and uh, searching on YouTube for a specific video, I came across how to wrap a gas tank. <laughs> and I'm like, uh. vinyl wrap a gas tank, because mine yeah. is kind of like, yeah, you know, yeah. it's just, it's scratched. And it, it's, there's no dents and bangs. It just looks a little nasty. And yeah, you know, do you want to strip it and paint it? Oh, right. hmm, vinyl wrap. There's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure Although I don't know. Done. It might be, it might be just as much work to, to wrap it as it would be to paint it. So it seems like it'd be difficult with those complex curves, but I'm sure they can do it. I mean, they can wrap all kinds of stuff. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. incredible. Um, but yeah, so it's all set, set and ready to go. But yeah, I mean, it's, 
Yeah, in in Michigan, it's uh, you know March and April. It's as likely to be seventy five degrees as it is to be you know ten degrees, and we get a foot of snow. So, um, yeah, <laughs> you, you know, you take your chances, but that's fine. It, it'll yeah. it'll be it'll be good to get it going, and then once that's done, then I can decide. Um, I, I can think about getting like a, an XR one hundred or a TTR one twenty five for bombing around and doing a little practice riding too. So, cool, cool. Sorry, and this is not necessarily workshop related, but I did unfortunately hear earlier this week, or I'm sorry, at the end of last week, that I am not heading down to Daytona to help announce the 200 because they had some budget issues. So, but mm. the person I did deal with, they're like, "Look, I really, 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 really want you to be here for this." And so, anyways, they they were happy enough with what I did in October. They wanted they they're serious about trying to get me down for October again and and get me down there for the you know to work motorcycle stuff with them. So, yeah. um, and, and what I'm bummed about, not only for that, but, um, the flat track season kicks off down there and they're doing something really cool with the, uh, with the Daytona flat track in the sense that they're running on the infield of Daytona, sort of like how they've got the motocross set up. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they're also running part of it on the banking, like right wow. by the start finish line. So I, since I was going to be there, um, I was going to try and get, uh, uh, photo pass and shoot photos down there, but obviously I'm not going to be down there. But yeah, the um, and this is something we can talk about uh, you know, next month or something like this. But the what the American Flat Track is doing, holy crap, are they making some big moves and really expanding for this year? I'm really impressed with hmm. uh, what's going on with that series. So, yeah. and I know we're not about racing really on this one, which is fine. Um, but it just if if you're looking for something. That's something you'd pay attention to, and they stream. Uh, and I don't think you have, as, as memory serves, you don't have to pay for the stream. So that's even better. Yeah, they they mm. they they've really rejuvenated that whole sport with some really good, intelligent sanctioning management. Uh, mm-hmm. I interviewed uh, one of the, I can't think of his name now. One of the guys, they're president or director for Hooniverse right kind of after they rebranded it and did a big marketing push. And I was very, very impressed with the thing that they've, and they've done a very good job of defining classes mm-hmm. so that there's still some mechanical creativity available to people. So you don't see, you know, it's not a spec class where everybody's got, carbon copies of the same bike and yet they've got a really good parody and a lot of really close racing so um yeah the uh the singles class i mean you're gonna have husqvarna ktm yamaha honda kawasaki and i think one other one all with like factory efforts in their singles class which is like the entry level class and then they've got like a small twins class then obviously the big twins class which is essentially going to be indian and, and harley again and now that Indian's dominating, Harley's whining. I'm like, oh, because you haven't dominated the last 40 years all by yourself, and you're you're upset that you just can't play by yourself anymore. <laughs> so anyways. Well, in my workshop, I got my lathe cranked up, and I made something that is really terribly simple. It's a 14-millimeter brass cap for the outlet on my tank with a, a little barbed fuel-fitting screwed into the side of it. So all it is is just something that puts a cap on it and makes it go right angle so you can put fuel hose on it. 
And I got all done, and I was ready to tap the little 8-millimeter hole that the fuel fitting was going to go in, realized I didn't have a metric 8 by 1.0 tap. So that's on its way. And I, I have to say, not having grown up with someone who taught me mechanical stuff and not having experience with this kind of fabrication capability for most of my motorcycling life, I am not past the stage where this feels totally miraculous that I can say, <laughs> oh, these don't fit together. I would need a part that was this long and looked like this and had these threads. The ability to start with some cheap metal stock and make a part that does what I need is still like, what is this wizardry that I can now do? Um <laughs> uh, and uh, speaking of that, Harbor Freight had a $100 off coupon for their kind of their pro series welder, the what's called Vulcan welders. And I had been reading uh, Garage Journal and ADV Rider and some of the machining forums that I follow. The assessment was kind of like, yeah, they're not a professional level. But they're actually really nicely put together, and you're not going to compromise too much on functionality to get them. Because I've always wanted to learn TIG ever since I took my welding class. The guy was like, now let me show you, TIG. I'm not going to let you do it. It was like doing calligraphy. It was quiet. <laughs> there were no fumes. It was very precise. It made beautiful welds. I was like, wow, i got to learn that someday. Well, I need to build my battery box, and I have a little... Clark 110 MIG welder, but I've never had any gas for it. So the only thing I have been doing with my welder is really skanky looking flux core welds, which for a small 110 welder, flux core penetrates better. So it actually works fine, but it looks too ugly for me to use. Talk to my wife and I was like, honey, I want to get into the savings account for about 600 bucks. And she was like, if that's what you want, sure. So we went and used the coupon the last day. It was, it was like expired on Sunday and Saturday afternoon, bought one and went to my local welding shop and got a 20 year lease on a 80 CFM bottle of argon for TIG welding. And the nice thing is my little Clark MIG welder has a spool gun. So I bought some aluminum wire for that, which uses pure argon to do MIG welding on aluminum. And I was looking around at, I, I did a lot of very careful shopping before I spent my money. There is nothing with a fully variable foot pedal anywhere near the price. As soon as you start looking at something that instead of having a trigger or just an on-off foot pedal, you're looking probably four digits. Mm-hmm. So just just because I don't know, does the Eastwood Eastwood one not have a a foot pedal like that? This is the only other reasonable one I've ever seen, so that's why I'm asking. Almost anything in this price range has a trigger, just an on-off trigger, either a foot switch, not really a pedal, or a trigger on the gun. I know that's how the the cheaper Harbor Freight ones do that. Uh, I don't know if it's Eastwood, but uh, well, anything you find on Amazon under $1,000. It either has a really kludgy TIG torch with the switch zip-tied on the back of it, or some of them have a nice 
built-in switch. But everybody said, if you're trying to learn to TIG weld, don't bother. Now, Garrett, you, do you do any TIG welding? Yeah, a lot of TIG welding. Yeah, yeah. So, so your advice would be find something with a foot pedal because you kind of have to dial in your heat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the foot pedal is, is almost a mandatory unless you're welding like the same exact thickness metal with the same rod every single time and you just know what amperage you're going to need. But especially with aluminum and also, um, thicker steel aluminum, I have to start at full amperage. Um, so you got to really pour the coal to it and then back the amperage off a little bit once you get going. And, and you really need to be able to have that foot pedal control to do it. Um, so I weld with a Miller Synchrowave 220. Um, but, you know, lately it's been having some problems generating the initial arc to get started, which is kind of annoying. But once it once it does that, then it gets going just fine. Um, but, yeah, you get, you got to have the foot control. Um, some of the newer welders have, um, it's a foot control, but you can also set it to pulse. Um, and so like you can set the pulse rate, uh, to whatever you want and it'll just like, um, it's, it's kind of like, like pumping the throttle. And so you can just time it with your beads. I always thought that that would be kind of cool. I've never actually welded with a welder that did the pulse like that, but, well, this, um, this, Pro TIG 165 that I bought, this Vulcan, does have mm-hmm. pulse, but it's yeah. just a button. You can't set the interval. Okay. It's a 50% pulse on off, and it's like it. every half second or something like that. It, it yeah. pulses. Just to, so when you're welding something that's thin, you don't mm-hmm. end up burning through the metal as you're trying to get the fill material yeah. in and out of the puddle. I think really good welders don't use the pulls because they're able to just do it with their foot. But I'm I'm not nearly coordinated enough to like pulse with my foot. I always just end up screwing it up. Um, so I usually just keep constant amperage and just go with it. But well, I have uh, on my 125. I made up several different designs for battery boxes just out of heavy poster board, trying to figure out what fits and what works and taping them together. Now that I have a whole tank of argon gas, I think I'm actually going to try and make an aluminum version and a steel version. <laughs> TIG welding, there's a pretty good learning curve on. Mm-hmm. And aluminum MIG welding, there's a pretty good learning curve on. So I want to get some some expertise with both of them. The problem is when you're MIG welding aluminum, you really need to have some really good ventilation because it's a whole lot more toxic than than TIG welding. So I need to figure out how to not freeze myself out by opening the garage door in yeah. order to, to do that. That one may have to wait for the spring, you know. Yeah. I may rivet um, something together, bend so up some stuff and just rivet it for now. A few different things that you'll probably experiment with is um, one, a lot of welders say when you preheat the part, it makes it a lot easier to weld, even if it's not even that big of a part. Um, just when it already has warmth in it, it um, distributes heat a little bit better and makes a little bit nicer weld. Um, sharpening your tungsten is kind of an art form in itself. And I would say um, a lot of people use a bench grinder, but people that really weld nicely don't use a bench grinder. They use like a bench sander 
with like a flat sanding disc that's like a really kind of a a, a fine grit sand, sandpaper, like a, like a belt sander kind of thing. Well, no, they have usually they have them in like a combo thing where there's a belt and, a disc, and then yeah. like perpendicular oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. to it, there's okay. the disc. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. so the point, not for aluminum, but with steel, it's it's important to get a really good point on it. But with aluminum, you end up just making a ball on the end of your tungsten. So you'll have like a sacrificial block. The TIG Mm -hmm. is DC, so I'm not going to be using that on aluminum. Okay. uh, That's why I figured, hey, if I've got a spool gun MIG, I can MIG weld the aluminum. I can TIG weld steel and only need to have one bottle of of gas. I can just use argon for everything. You'll want you can use a bench grinder, but make sure you have kind of a fine coarse stone if you're going to grind your tungsten, because the coarse stones they just don't make it sharp enough. Um, and I, then also cup sizes for your argon, bigger it's, than you think. Yeah, you want honestly you want the biggest cup that you can conveniently use to get the most argon coverage, but sometimes a big cup just doesn't allow you to get into the spaces where you want to get to. Um, so it's kind of a balance there. Um, but I would try different cups out and just see what you like using. Well, hopefully in the next month before our next episode, I can actually finish unboxing everything and make room for it in the garage and get a nice clean place. Uh, I went out just this afternoon and bought some stainless steel cleaning brushes because everybody says, especially with the aluminum, that, that prep is everything. Yeah. So just to back up, Eric, uh, posted on our chat as we're talking here. The Eastwood TIG 200 is, is $799. So $800. Bucks, yeah. Still significantly more than oh, yeah, what I absolutely. wanted to spend, but it is under $1,000 by far. So, yeah. I just, uh, it, it was stuck in the back of my head. So that's why I thought about it. So, anyways, that, that's my little adventure. <laughs> One thing leads to another, you know? It, yeah. I was going to say on, on this same note, um, I did, not long ago, buy a, an inexpensive Everlast brand plasma cutter, which will probably be what you end up wanting to get next. It's so handy, and I'm telling you, it is remarkable how clean of a cut it'll make through aluminum. It says in the manual that it'll cut through, I think it said like, it was either three eighths or half inch steel. And I'm like, well, I got to try this out. So just for fun, I had a piece of three eighths steel, and it cut through it like butter wow and it actually like the the quality of cut not bad through three eighths steel and it was just like a you know five hundred dollar plasma cutter the uh, i remember the first time i used a plasma cutter i was in uh, yeah i was still in college so this was in the early 90s and i had gone out to new jersey to announce a uh, a car race and while i was going out there part of the floor in my mustang i had an 83 mustang gt at the time and it was they were known for this. The left rear part of where the passenger or where the driver's seat bolts to the floor, that kind of rusted away. So the passenger seat kind of rocked back and forth a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, and so while I was out there the day after uh, the race so on a Monday, I went back to school a day or two late. Um, uh, guy that I know uh, out there had a shop. And so we went out to a shop and um, he's like he ha- he literally handed me the plasma cutter and said, OK. You just kind of cut this out and then here's a piece of metal and kind of cut this in and then you get that and prep it and blah, bleh blah, and then I'll weld it for you. I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> so yeah, mm-hmm. it's like and that's I you know, you're you're twenty years old or whatever I was at the time, and you're like, 
wow, this is cool. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. need me one of these. You're pretty neat. I had to chuckle when you said the next thing I'm going to want because I've already been out looking through all of the different CNC tables that they have for plasma yeah. cutters. I know. I really want just like a small, like a four by four size uh, plasma table that you just hook a uh, plasma gun up to, you know, mm-hmm. like you yeah. have a your, uh, handheld plasma cutter that it just mounts to it. Oh, that's the next thing that I want. I want one so bad. <laughs> well, there's there's a company called Premier Plasma. I've been looking at them, and it seems like they don't have a really great reputation, mainly because the finance company they they deal with is is not the greatest. They offer uh, <laughs> buy here pay here financing. So oh, they, yeah. Another criticism is it's a bolt together table. It's not a fully welded table. So it's not going to have that extreme level of accuracy, but it's also, it's not water jet cutting. It's not laser mm-hmm. cutting. You're going to have a little bit of beveling and it, it, it's not for super precise work anyways, if you're yeah. using a plasma cutter, but for like doing a frame gusset or something like that, it's going to be fine. They have yeah. a two by two table, which I actually was looking at because I don't have a lot of room for this. But it's like I think twenty eight hundred dollars for the mm-hmm. the controller, the table, the whole bit, a water table underneath it. Um, you need to have the software, and you need to have a plasma cutter. I was looking at all the stuff I would need, probably around six grand. Yeah, which isn't pocket change, but for the capability that you have once you get that it's something that i was thinking well could i could i do it in retirement and make enough to pay for it you know do do odd jobs and stuff so i've i've been playing with that idea but right now i need to get everything else off my table and out of my workshop (laughs) first yeah yeah it i know garrett and garrett can get me laser cut stuff like my engine mount plates really nicely so i don't have to worry mm-hmm. about it right now yeah. oh i have a, a bit of an update from last month our conversation about the one bike i neglected a bike that i probably should have mentioned that wasn't on my radar i happened to go back to the shop where i bought my 79 triumph uh angle motors on truman road in kansas city if you're local and i also bought my bsa there i actually it was personally owned by one of the principal guys in the dealership. And they had the new Triumph Speedmaster, which I've never been a fan of because I didn't like the forward pegs. You know, it's got the forward controls. And I didn't like the bobber because I didn't like the single seat with no rear fender. You couldn't, you know, put luggage or anything on the back of it. Well, they had a Speedmaster there with the mid peg kit so you can retrofit the pegs that are farther back like the bobber and it had the low bars from the bobber on it but it had twin discs full rear fender on it and cruise control oh and it's a 2018 that they had like $2,500 off they actually had it with all of the upgraded accessories oh and they also had a really nice accessory seat on it for less than the regular MSRP uh, if I was going to do something, that would totally be where I would go in this direction. I, They let me sit on it, and I 
drooled over it. it yeah. Really, really neat bike. It is a really sharp looking motorcycle for sure. Yeah. And, uh, into our last, uh, recording, they, all the videos are coming out for the, uh, Speed Twin. And I will tell everyone, go watch the 44 Teeth review. Neither the, nor- the, the two regular guys could go on it. So they sent this other dude who's like, he's so cliche, like 50s, uh, Brit guy, right? Or like a 50 year old Brit guy. Um, but it works for him. <laughs> you know, it's only like, oh my God, this guy's such a cliche. This is going to be god awful. And it was one of the most entertaining reviews that I've watched in a long time. And uh, it's about a 17 or 18 minute long video. But uh, he's sitting there, the guy, I can't think of his name, and Alistair is the uh, huskier guy of, of the two. Uh, Chris is the tall, is Baron Von Grumble, the tall guy. Yeah, he and Alistair are sitting there talking about it. And it's just, it's a great video to watch. And he's like, oh man. There's another one I want to add to the list of bikes that like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we could get this one too? So, (laughs) but it looks, it looks pretty interesting. Eric, I have to say right now, you look exactly like Bono. (laughs) 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 The listeners can't see, but Eric's wearing uh, some of his shooting glasses and they're yellow tinted, but he's like with the goatee and the hair and the the glasses, exactly like Bono. (laughs) All right. Uh, I'm going to yeah. take a screenshot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm wearing them for two reasons. One, I just got them so they're novelty. Two, they're progressives, so I can actually like read. I can look at my keyboard, look at the monitor, and look at other stuff, and everything can be in focus because they're progressive lenses. Where normally none of it is in focus because it's of distances and stuff like that. So, um, and the yellow tint of these things is really really cool. There's like blue blocker in it, so it really helps with uh, high strain. So anyways, mm-hmm. Hunter HD gold, by the way, new team sponsor, go check them out. They're cool. There we go. Sorry. Got my plug in. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't pay for the spot though. So since our last episode, I know I said I had scratched a motor Marini off of my, uh, my bucket list, but on eBay, there was a really nice low mileage Motor Marini K2, which was the last iteration that was sold in the United States. Really nice looking bike. It only got bid up to $2,500, $2,550. Now that didn't meet reserve and it didn't sell, but I was really shocked that there was not more demand for a bike like that. I would have bid a whole lot more than that if I had money, which I don't. So <laughs> there's that little complication. Pete, your uh, GB500 TT sold for $59.50 on Bring a Trailer. It, it is amazing how much money those demand when they're an XL500. I mean, they're, they're not even, you know, a 600 or 650 like you got in some of the XLs and XRs. It's a 500 single. I mean, it's, it's an attractive 500 single. But it doesn't yeah, even have even like really fantastic good. suspension. Uh, the seat's comfortable. I did a 700 mile day on one once. So, you know, they're, they're nice. But to me, I don't get the cult mentality that, that drives the prices up on them. I, uh, I, I remember when they were sold new and even yet. Yeah, and yeah, even when they were new, they were really a cult bike and. I just, I think it's, you know, you have eight people who want 
the seven bikes that are out there that are like a 60s British um, Manx or whatever it was, but with Japanese reliability. And there you go, <laughs> you know, um, and that's what that's what causes it. But I don't know. and then the other well, one that we that we chatted about in our in our Slack group was a uh, 88 Ducati Paso 750, thirty six hundred dollars. And I'm going to say that's reasonably well bought at that price. Uh, I would I would agree. Uh it's not. I mean, it's a bike of a time. Like if you grew up in the '80s, or you know, where you were in the, in the it, unless you were of that era, that bike makes no sense because it just it looks weird. But it was so cool at the time because it was sort of futuristic, space agey, and it was it, Italian. I think it looks more understandable now because there are so many yeah. bikes that have come since then with full body work. But uh, yeah, and the fact that it's blue, that kind of cool azure blue color, was also nice. I posted one that's for sale elsewhere that was the limited, mm-hmm. which I thought was, uh, I thought more attractive and it had a whole lot lower miles, but it was not the bargain that was. This was six grand. And actually I just went out on cycle trader and it is still available. Mm. Although that's another one. You got to want it to want it. I mean, yep, if, exactly. Real limited market on that one. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Because most people who want Ducatis want a 916. They want an 851. They want something that's a real hard-edge sports bike. And that's not what this was. No, no, no. That was kind of a not quite a touring, a grand touring or a sport. It, it's like early sport touring styling bike. So yeah. um, I also came across on the Aprilia forum a really good deal on a 2004 Tuano. It was a V-twin and it was based in San Diego. And I think the guy who ended up, and it, it had a decent amount of miles on it. And it wasn't in great, I mean, it wasn't like pristine shape, but it was in good enough shape. And he had done a couple little upgrades to it. And he only wanted like three grand or 3,200. And I'm like, ooh. Then I did, uh, then I looked into what shipping of it was going to be from San Diego to here. And like the cheapest shipping was like 850 bucks. And I'm like, damn, that's like a third of the price. Hmm. <laughs> you know, at that, at that point, I'll just look closer to home. You know, yeah. But, um, but it was just one of those things like you, everything sounds good from across the country until you look at what it costs to ship it to you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I've, I've, when I go out and I'm daydreaming, I don't even daydream coast to coast anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, uh, you know, you, when you go out to cycle trader and you do the nationwide, everything's in California or Florida, you know, it, it Every once in a while you get something, you know, Boston or New York. There's just nothing for sale in the Midwest. Although I'm really surprised how many there are around Chicago. There's like this cluster of semi-rural dealerships in a ring around Chicago that advertise on there. Chicago is a really, really big motorcycle market, believe it or not. Um, Of course, when you have like seven and a half or eight million people in the metro area that helps right you know um but it's actually that part that chicago is really big because a lot of the people who go ride um take a take a ride up an hour or two north up into wisconsin and then you get into kind of around where um road america is in the kettle moraine area and there's some really good riding up that way so (laughs) a lot of the people i used to race with they were all from that area from chicago and in and around chicago so that's the only reason I know is like a ton of people around there who ride. Oh, one other thing. If you go out to Facebook, I did do a photo chop 
just a, a, a visual mashup of a GT750 and a 400 Bandit. We had talked on the last episode. I found a side view of both of them, and I knew what the wheelbase measurements were, so I actually tried to size them as accurately as I could. So if you want to see what a GT750 uh, 400 Bandit, Bandit. hybrid yeah. would look like, there's a very imaginary one that you can go look at. In doing <laughs> that, I found a guy that uh, had actually made a GT750 slash Yamaha TDM850 hybrid. The guy had no experience building bikes, but he had a TDM850. The motor blew up, and he's like, oh, I want to do something different. So he found a water buffalo motor. And just kind of intuited his way into putting it in this completely different spar frame. And it turned out much better than I would have expected. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, I'll have to post the picture and a link to the article where the guy talks about just kind of like, well, I, you know, lined up the rear mounts and it worked. So I rotated the engine up till it hit the frame and that's where it had to be. And then I kind of, <laughs> machined a little off of the rear wheel to line up the chain and i was done and i was like yeah <laughs> okay yeah. i know it's not that easy yeah i wish all projects sounded that easy <laughs> yeah and were that easy yeah. <laughs> there was a guy years ago i i think i saw it when i subscribed to backstreet heroes magazine in england had a like a i want to say 66 68 bsa got sick of all the engine work, so he went out and found a 550 Kawasaki motor, and he's like, well, I kind of cut the frame for, so the engine would fit and bolted it up, and, you know, and then I was done. <laughs> it was like, Just it bolted looks, right in. <laughs> it looks fantastic. I, I, I'll i try to find a picture of it and put it on the Facebook feed. It it was like the Basaki or something. Just a a really amazingly cool bike that looked fantastic, yeah i just knocked it up i'm like no you didn't i know it doesn't work like that (laughs) yeah unfortunately yeah well if anybody has anything you'd like to talk about next month feel free to go to facebook or go to hooniverse uh by the way we we are officially over three years old about a week after our episode went live I got a text from Eric, and Eric was like, hey, do you know this is our third birthday? And I went out, and sure enough, it was. So we posted a little thing on Hooniverse about our third anniversary, and nobody replied. So (laughs) (laughs) you need to go out to Hooniverse and leave a comment on our our post. Uh, Otherwise, you can go to Facebook, where we actually do get people responding to the things we post. In the meantime, you can listen to the Hooniverse podcast, and there may be another Hooniverse podcast coming, uh, one specifically dealing with uh, overland, 4x4, off-road, exploring, camping. So we'll see if that happens. Cool. And uh, anything else you guys think we need to cover before we wrap up this month? Uh, nothing that we probably won't cover on Facebook over the next couple of weeks. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, get uh, stuff back from Garrett, and I'll uh, get a video together, and we'll throw that up on Facebook of that bike starting. So yeah. 
Okay. Well, then we will sign off and we'll see y'all next month. So long. <laughs>